0: Okay, and on that twisted note, let's continue with our scripture that can be found on the inside of the bulletin. This is Luke 9, 37 through 45. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. The word of the Lord. Well, it's exciting to see some new faces here. Uh, And we recently had a Taste of Redeemer night at the Manning House, where some new folks who had been coming for a while, we got together and enjoyed fellowship with one another. But, uh, you know, what's uh, a neat thing is when there's new folks here, I get to tell them more about myself, because I'm somewhat of a strange and enigmatic figure. And so we're going to play one of my favorite games, Uh, it's called Four Lies and a Truth. Usually it's three truths and a lie, but I can do pretty much whatever I want from this pulpit until they come and take me away. So four lies and a truth is what we're going to play. So I'm going to give you four lies, uh, excuse me, three lies and one truth, three lies and a truth, and you have to tell me which one of these is true. Okay, number one, I was born outside of the United States. Could be true. English is not my first language. My degree is in international politics. I have rickets. You're going to feel very bad if I actually do have rickets, whoever lied. Okay? Okay. So I was born outside the United States. English is not my first language. My degree is in international politics. I have rickets. If anyone thinks that the lie is, excuse me, that the truth is that I was born outside the United States, raise your hand. Hmm. My wife, that's disturbing. Um, English is not my first language. Oh, she was a decoy. Oh, excellent, excellent. I like that. English is not my first language. No? Wow, my facility of the English language betrays me. My, decree, my degree is in international politics. Is that true or false? And finally, I have rickets. Is it that obvious? Yes, it's true. The answer, will the real answer stand up? My degree is in international politics, so I will be with you for a while as I have managed to escape the plague of rickets. You know, truth and lies are critical to life, aren't they? What you believe is ultimately how you behave. He said when Jesus was before Pilate that he came to testify to the truth. And indeed, Jesus said that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so truth is obviously critical to the Lord. That's why he came. Truth is critical to life, because what you believe is how you behave. But the truth is that sometimes it's hard to tell what is true and what is a lie. Lies seem to be able to be dressed up in such a way they look they look so close to the truth, truth, they're almost truth, and yet they fall short. See, this passage is really about truth and lies. It's about the truth of who Jesus is, it's about the truth of who the disciples are, and it's about the unbelief of the disciples and the crowd. Their inability or unwillingness To acknowledge that which is true and that which is false. And that which spurs this question of truth and lies is a crisis. A man who brings his boy to be healed. The truth is that crisis tests what we believe. Our beliefs about life, they're underground, if you will, until a crisis comes and brings them to the forefront. And it's there where what we truly believe is unveiled and so the goal of this passage is to examine it in light of the crisis that you may be having right now or about to undergo what is it that you believe about Jesus Christ what is it that you believe that is true and what is it that you believe about him that is false because ultimately what you believe will determine how you will behave See what Jesus ultimately wants from you is not better living. What Jesus ultimately wants from you is not more religious practice. What he wants from you is to believe in him. For Jesus said this is the work of God to believe in the one whom he has sent. Well we're going to discuss in this passage three things that we need to believe, to believe in Jesus Christ. Number one, we have to believe in His person. Who He actually is. Not what the world says, but who He actually is. We need to believe in His person. Number two, we need to believe in His power. What He has the ability to do, what He says He will do, how He will act in your life. And finally, we need to believe in His plan. God has a method and a way in which he is acting to accomplish our salvation, to accomplish redemption. The kingdom of God does not work in the same way as the kingdom of man. And so to believe in the one whom he has sent is to believe in his position, his person, to believe in his power, and ultimately to believe in his plan. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at these things. Let's believe in his person. Verse 37, it says that on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain... Keep in mind, they've been on the mount. Peter, James, and John. Jesus takes his main three, and they go up, and they see Jesus transfigured before him. They see him in all of his glory, his face shining like the sun, as Moses and Elijah talk with him. It's the proverbial mountaintop experience. And they don't want to come down, but they do. And so when they had come down from the mountain... There was a great crowd. Mark, which has a parallel passage in Luke, helps to shed more light. It says that there was a great crowd around the disciples and the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and greeted him. They come down from the mountaintop right into chaos. Why does it always work like that, by the way? Moses is up there on the mountain. He comes down and there's the roaring of the crowd. We have a mountaintop experience and it seems that so often we come back from the men's retreat or the prayer weekend and are launched right into chaos. Well, what exactly are they arguing about anyways? We know from, this, uh, from verse 8 to 38 where it says, And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out and it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. This boy and this man bringing his son has created this chaos. The chaos essentially, uh, what's going on here is that he's begged the disciples to cast it out but because they cannot, a huge chaos has occurred. Now some things we know about this boy. The first is a spirit has seized him. The only child of a father. And the spirit which has seized him since birth uh, sends him into these crazy uh, things here. The the child cries out. It convulses him. He he shudders and shakes. He foams. It constantly is pushing him. It hardly leaves him. It, It is plaguing him. And indeed in Mark it says that it often tries to throw him into the fire or the water to kill him. Now, some people have thought he's talking about epilepsy here, but he, but he isn't. The Greek here indicates he's not talking about absolute. He's talking about spirit possession. There's something going on. There's something in this child. Now, if you read this story in various parts of the world, people will nod and agree. In the United States, Satan, for whatever reason, has found it much more effective to act like he doesn't exist. He's like the little red guy on your shoulder, almost a cute figure. But the reality, if we're honest and look at the TV, is we can discover and understand one thing that is patently clear, which is evil exists in the world, even in the rarefied United States of America. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they would not. They could not, excuse me. The disciples have tried to cast out this demon, but they can't. And so the disciples are frustrated. Well, the scribes are arguing with them, I can tell you the line of the argument of the scribes. Only God can perform miracles. You can't perform miracles. Therefore, the one you follow is not God. So the scribes are busy telling the crowd this is all a sham. And the crowd is just clueless to the whole thing. They're looking for a spectacle. They're not on one side or the other. They're just trying to figure out what's going on. And so they all run to Jesus. Because he's going to answer this thing. Jesus' response pretty much to all of them, is, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. I think to myself, that's a pretty strong response, isn't it? From Jesus, gentle, meek, and mild. O faithless and twisted generation. So what's his anger? His anger is they're faithless. They don't have any belief. Who don't they believe in? Well, that would be obvious. It's Jesus and what he can do and who he is. Oh, faithless and twisted. The word twisted could also be translated crooked. Not walking in the straight line. Not walking in the path of God. Like sheep who have wandered off the reservation. Faithless and twisted. Believing and behaving. How long am I to be with you and bear with you? See, he's saying, this shouldn't be happening, this situation here. The disciples is really the the main rebuke, I think, might be of the disciples. And you think to yourself, well, that's not fair, Jesus. They tried their best. They simply couldn't do it. Well, this passage doesn't make sense unless you look at Luke 9.1, which is the beginning of the chapter where it says, "...and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases." He's already tasked them as his messengers. He's already empowered them. He's already sent them out. They've actually already cured diseases and sent out demons. This is not new territory for them. But it seems in this particular case, they can't figure out how to do it. The scribes he's upset with, because they should know better. They know the law. They're faithless and they're crooked. And the crowd is certainly faithless and crooked because they refuse to believe in the one who God has sent. Believe in behavior. You know, we point the finger at these folks, but we have to point the finger at ourselves as well and ask the question, how do we respond in crisis? The disciples surely should know, right, and operate in the correct way, that when we experience crisis, We have the same questions and problems, don't we? We try putting in place the techniques that we've learned from the Bible, but they don't seem to work quite right. You know, life is full of trouble. And trouble, frankly, is the norm in life. The mountaintop is the exception. I used to think that life was a series of mountaintop and valley experiences. And the goal was to stay on the mountain and, and whenever you were in the valley to get out of it as quick as possible. But the reality is life is not like that at all. Life is a series of valleys and mountaintops at the same time, like train tracks running with each other. There's always something hard going on in life. Sometimes it's a lot harder, but there's always trouble. It's always there alongside you. And there's always blessings and goodness running alongside. It's how we deal with them. But when trouble is the norm, and when it's feeling like it's overcoming us, do we believe that God is sovereign over our troubles? Or when we are in the midst of our troubles, do we believe that our troubles are bigger than God? See, much like the disciples or this man, we follow the same line of thought. When trouble comes, we think, what's wrong? God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I in the middle of this? We should not be surprised by a fallen world because we are not in heaven yet. And the reality is Satan often attacks that which is most precious to us. Why do we fear something happening with our children if you have children? Because Satan knows how painful that can be. But Jesus is saying you're faithless and you're crooked because you're not acknowledging my position, my person, my identity, the promises that I give. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And even though I've been up on this mountain and you haven't seen me, I'm sovereign over your circumstances. I provide a way through your circumstances. I provide victory in your circumstances. The call that I have given you is to believe in the one whom God has sent, Jesus Christ, in the midst of the crisis. You know, when our son passed away, it was a crisis of crises. It was a seemingly powerless time. You know, it's like one of those things in a movie where everything slows down and you're like, this isn't happening to us but it was like a powerless time there was nothing we could do There's nothing that could fix it and the chaos came and the voice of the world says you're done it's over you're the one that what we all feared has come to pass there's a, a blackness to it you can't fix this you can't reason your way out of it And I heard the quiet voice of the evil one saying, give up. All hope is lost. And all of us of the family just wanted to call it quits at some time. Just lay down. Just die. Get it over with. But there's that quiet voice as well. Can't quite see him. But he says, I'm the Lord. I hold the keys to life and death, and I am in charge. So do not fear, for I am with you, and do not be dismayed. For I will strengthen you, and I will help you. That I am in the middle of this, and though you cannot see me with sight, the one thing you can do is believe that I am sovereign, and that I am God. And I will give you victory in your circumstances and I will guide you through it. And so the one thing that we could do is to believe in the one whom he has sent. See, my friends, the issue is not the crisis. The issue is who you give the crisis to. You can label whatever the crisis is and it's going to come. And if it's not now, it will come. It's who you give the crisis to. In this world, you will have trouble. Are you on the mountaintop right now? I don't know. That was a powerful experience, Friday, worshiping. It was like the angels were with us. And yesterday, giving ourselves in prayer. It was a spiritual... I've never done it before. Powerful spiritual experience. You may be tired, but are you on the mountaintop? You'll soon be in the valley. Maybe you're in the valley right now. Your job, if you have one. Your health... Same problems, same issues. Your relationship can't seem to fix the thing. No matter how hard you try, you keep saying the wrong things and doing the wrong things. The question that Jesus is asking is, who is sovereign? Because it ain't the crisis. It's who you give the crisis to. And so to give this crisis to anyone else than the sovereign one is to create frustration and anger and fear. So if we can learn anything from this passage, it's this. Give your crisis to him. Name it the crisis, but claim him. Don't claim it. I don't want it. Claim him and obey him. Do not fear. But he doesn't seem like he's showing up. Wait and be patient. Sometimes victory simply consists in staying still and waiting and keeping your eyes on him. As you name it and you claim him and obey him. For the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Your belief determines your behavior. Well, this brings me to my second point. To believe in his person is to believe in his power. Jesus said, "O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? How long? Thank goodness he didn't say, How long am I going to bear with you? I'm out of here. No, he's speaking rhetorically. In other words, how long until you get it? Bring your son here. In verse 42, While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. You know, the one thing that this man did do right... Is he started taking his son to Jesus? He brought him closer. And you know, the closer that you bring things to Jesus, the more into focus they become. You know, as this demon in this child was brought closer to Jesus, he was revealed for who he was. He threw the boy to the ground and convulsed him. And we know Jesus spoke in. And he healed him, and he pulled it out, and he he brought this kid back to life, so to speak. But he brought him to Jesus. So what was the problem with the disciples anyways? Why couldn't they fix this? I mean, they had already been given authority, right? In Mark, they actually, the disciples, they asked Jesus as they were going inside, why couldn't we fix it? And Jesus said, this type of demon can only come out through prayer. If you have a Bible, some of you may have a little parenthesis that says, some manuscripts say, end fasting. The earliest manuscripts do not say end fasting. And the reason that the uh, commentators have not put it in is because right when it starts showing up is right about a time where uh, asceticism was growing very strong in Christianity. In other words, I've got to, you know, do all of these practices and so forth in order for this to come in. And so that's why I don't include fasting. The Bible doesn't. Because prayer is what Jesus is focusing on here. This kind can only uh, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. See, where the disciples have gone wrong is they have separated the power from the person. It's become a formula, if you will, a title. They speak, it happens. And so they have become divorced, if you will, from the person of God. It's amazing, Jesus, how many times when He was going to make a decision that He went and He prayed to His Father. Again and again in the book of Luke, he is, reti- he is stepping away from His ministry to get with God His Father and to pray to Him. If the Son of God needs to have this vital union with the Father, should not the disciples as well? The disciples have become disconnected From the power of God. There is no formula for the Christian life. I wish I could give you E equals MC squared. It doesn't exist. It's a vital union. That's why we did Chiba City yesterday. Praying and praying and praying. Why? Because we don't have any power. But we are connected to the powerful one. And so if the disciples had chosen to pray... To come to the Father, God help us and guide us, they would have had the power to do what was necessary. But they were still learning. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit. The truth of the matter is, my friends, we cannot divorce God's power from any situation in our life. Whether it's your work, whether it's your life, whether it's your relationships, how often am I like the disciples where I utter some sort of incantation from the Bible and expect something to occur and nothing happens? And I say I did it wrong. When guardian leviosa. Right? I said it wrong. Where is it? Give me another version, another Greek or Hebrew or something. It's person and power, it's dependence upon God. There is no formula. But Jesus shows up in person. Bring him to me. How long has this been happening in the book of Mark? Jesus asked the father. From childhood. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, says the man. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I do believe Help my unbelief. What a great prayer. Sometimes that's exactly where we need to start, right? I do believe in you. I do believe in your power. Help my unbelief. Is that not the very prayer to believe in the one whom he has sent? Do we not need the power of God even to believe in the person of God? And so all of life depends on dependence to God. I don't know if you're a grease monkey or not. Myself, I usually pop the hood and work on my 2002 Odyssey, supercharging it uh, on weekends. Uh, But nonetheless, the way a car works is you've got a starter, you've got an alternator, you've got a battery, you've got an engine. Hey, everybody gets it. When the engine's running, okay, the engine's powering everything, right? Well, you gotta have power to start the engine. Okay, and so the most important thing to get everything going is the starter. Without the starter, you're dead. Literally, as a car, right? So the car's dead, it's not turning. But if the starter starts, the starter runs, the uh, the engine is running, which powers the alternator, which is charging the battery. And the battery is where the charge is to kickstart the engine. See, the starter, is that help my unbelief. Before I can say to God, fix this crisis, what I have to say to God is fix me. The problem with this crisis is not the crisis. The situation that needs to be overcome is my unbelief. And the beauty of that is it's a simple prayer. Lord, I'm clueless and unbelieving. Help me and guide me into seeing what it is that I'm supposed to do and who I am supposed to be. See, when a crisis comes in your life, you've got to get this crisis to the Lord. But the most important thing that you can bring to the Lord is yourself. And so to believe in the one whom he has sent is to pray. Lord, help my unbelief. The disciples, they totally skipped it, didn't they? No need for prayer. We got this one. I'm not sure what's up with your crisis. But prayer is the starter to your obedience. And all obedience is, is faith in motion that's been started by the power of God in your heart when you depend on Him. He's not going to work on your crisis if you're not going to give it to Him. When you're handling it, he says, you got it. Go ahead. So get serious about giving your crises to him. But I am serious, Carlos. All right, show me your journal. Show me your thought life. Show me your initial prayer of how you are dealing with this crisis. Where is my mirror, by the way, so I can fix this, so I can look at myself as I'm saying these things? We're all in the same boat. Help my unbelief. Because it starts with me. Belief determines behavior. This is the work of God to believe in the one he sent. This brings me to my final point. We must believe in his plan. And they were all astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, you can almost hear him as he lowers his voice, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this name. They're marveling at the majesty of God and what he's done. But Jesus, even at that time, is reminding them, a giant crisis is about to come that's going to shake you to your very foundation. And you will be tested to your limits. And all of these little tests are like straw compared to that. Because when it comes, it's going to be counter to everything that you think about how life is supposed to work and how I am supposed to reign. For my plans are not your plans, declares the Lord. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above yours and my ways above yours. The way I bring salvation to you is through sacrifice. And so when it occurred, everything in them was tempted to say, God is not in control. It's over and it's lost. He's gone to the point of no return, for surely in death, who can turn back from that? But his position tells us that he is life itself, isn't he? The resurrection and the life. Redemption is through His blood. Thank goodness we worship a God who died on the cross. If we didn't have that, how would we really know that He really was in with us to the end of this thing, right? See, we have crisis in our world. The world will speak to us and say, You're done. But the world will also speak to us and say, This is how you are supposed to act to get out of it. And the way of the kingdom is diametrically opposed to the way of man. Jesus said very clearly that in this world you will have trouble and that anyone who wants to follow after Jesus Christ will suffer. See, we follow in the path of Jesus Christ. Suffering and sacrifice are the path of the Christian and resurrection and life are the results not only in the life to come, but in this life here. And so we must trust His plan, the path of surrender. When sometimes Jesus calls us to go to the cross and to lay down our rights with one another, our right to be right, our right to be vindicated, our right to have the last word. Our right to end up on top of the heap at work. Because we do not fight with the weapons of this world. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever seeks to gain his life will lose it. Whoever who loses his life for my sake will gain it. This is the work of God, says Jesus, to believe in the one whom he has sent. So pull out your compass wherever you are today. Believe in his person. He is who he says he is. Believe in his power. Lord, the way I start is by saying, help my unbelief. I give you myself in this situation. What do you want to do with me? And believe in his plan, that even though it looks like he's leading me into the valley of the shadow of death, he will prepare a banquet table for me in the midst of my enemies there. And my cup will overflow. For surely, goodness and mercy will be there with me in the valley and all the days of my life. The path of Christianity is the path of trust, the path of submission, the path of death, the path of power, and the path of resurrection. Let's walk it together, keeping our eyes fixed on this one who came so close that we could know him, Deeper than we could know anyone else on this earth. It ain't the crisis. It's who you give the crisis to. And he is worthy. Let's pray. O oh, unbelieving generation. Lord, we do confess that though we are your people and have your spirit we so quickly look to the ways of the world and the voice of the evil one who whispers, you're done, not that way. Lord, help us to believe you for who you are, sovereign over our problems and troubles, no matter how big they seem. Help us to depend, not to rely on formulas or quick fixes, but rather your living presence who will guide us as we conform ourselves to your likeness and your will first. And Lord, help us to trust in your plan, to not be afraid of what lies before us, for we know who lies before us and who lies on the other side. These are our prayers. We pray that you would bless them today. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.